Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my dear friend, Caitlin Wernett. Caitlin is a beautiful writer who regularly contributes to She Reads Truth, the Abide Meditation app, Fathom Magazine, and she is the author of a beautiful new book that I am so excited about called The Book of Comforts. Today, we're talking about where to find comfort in the midst of hard seasons. Caitlin tells us the story of the day her entire life changed, and she shares with us the practical tools she uses in her own life to work through deep-rooted pain and grief. I love this conversation, and friends, if you are in a hard season right now, I'm praying that this episode feels like a warm hug from friends who are right there with you in the midst of this. I'm praying that as Caitlin shares her story and what she's learned along the way, that you can feel God's comfort wrapping you up in a whole new way. But before we dive in, Friends, if you are struggling to connect with God these days, maybe you're in a hard season yourself or you just have a super busy schedule and you're trying to figure out how to spend time with Him in the midst of it, I have the perfect resource just for you. It's my book, The Lipstick Gospel Devotional, and it is a 90-day step-by-step guide that will help you consistently connect with God, hearing from Him, trusting His plans, and feeling His presence in your everyday life. If this sounds like something you need in your life, I would love to share this with you. To pick up a copy, you can go to smaywilsonshop.com or you can click the link in my Instagram profile. I'm at smaywilson over on Instagram. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Caitlin Wernett. Okay, friends, I'm so excited for who we have for today's episode. I'm sitting here in person with my dear real life friend, Caitlin Burnett, who you guys have actually heard on the show before. Caitlin, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. It's, I feel like having a repeat girls night is the best. And also I do have to say, I said this the first time you were on the show, but you were a huge part of me starting this podcast because I mean, I remember we talked about it a hundred times and dreamed about it a hundred times. And I really, I mean, it was conversations with you, lunches with you, dinners with you that finally gave me the courage to give this a try and go for it. And so really this show would not exist without you. Oh, well, that's very generous, but here we are. We did it. I think we were just talking about how the last time we did it, um, you hadn't even released any episodes yet. And now it's just been the most fun thing to connect with all of your listeners and also listen to all the episodes myself. I think I feel like I come away every time with like a new friend that I've spent a girl's night with. So it's super fun. I love that so much. Um, Really what Caitlin was saying before we started recording was, wow, Steph, you really know what you're doing now because I did it before. (laughs) But that's a lie too because I still don't know what I'm doing. Okay. So Caitlin, the last episode you were on, we talked about friendship and how to make friends in a new city and I loved it. And you guys, we're going to make sure to link to that episode in our show notes for this episode so you can check that out too. And in case I forget to tell you later, we always have show notes for every episode we do so that you guys don't have to like like try to write down links or book titles or something while you're driving. That's not safe. So <laughs> we find all the links for you and they're all in our show notes and you can find them all at stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. Anyway, so Caitlin, for anyone who hasn't met you yet, tell us who you are, what you do, and give us a fun fact about yourself. 
I would love to. I'm Caitlin, and I have the joy of living in my favorite city in the world, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, which... That's kind of confusing. Is never confusing at all. Yes. I think <laughs> I joke that I'm only going to move to cities that rhyme, and so I guess I'm here forever. Um, are there, I don't are think there, there is anything. I, I don't know. I have to look that up now. I don't know. You guys let us know. Someone listening is like, yes, I live in yeah. fill in the blank. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let us know. Um, by day, I get to work in marketing, doing writing, editing, content strategy, and by night, and I mean, really all the other time, um, <laughs> I love to get to write creative nonfiction essays and things things like devotionals for sites like She Reads Truth, the Abide Meditation app, and Fathom Magazine, and another big project that I'm excited to talk to you about later. Okay, so Caitlin, what is your fun fact? Okay, so the last time I was here, somehow my fun fact became that I loved goat cheese, which is totally true, but I've come more prepared this time. Which is funny because (laughs) I, yes, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Goat cheese. Yes, we love goat cheese, but give us something better. Okay, so my fun fact is that whenever I was in college and I was studying journalism and I wanted, I was doing my first ever newspaper interview, it was with someone who my 90s loving heart loves so much. Um, It was Dave Coulier from Full House, also known as Uncle Joey. Yes, that was your first journalism interview yeah so um dave if you're listening i'm really sorry i have gotten better at interviewing (laughs) (laughs) and also i don't even think i was supposed to interview him i think i just thought like here i am here he is let's i have my notebook you were taking initiative i love it so did it not go well Uh, it it actually went great um i just would like to think that I have improved since then. And he was he was my guinea pig, which is, you know, a really That's kind a really guinea pig. Kind and really big guinea pig. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so Dave Poulier, love it. So funny. Love it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I love this. Your writing is so beautiful. And y'all, I'm so glad that we get to connect you with Caitlin again because she truly is a devotional writer. Like she just draws you in and draws you closer to the heart of God. And um, you're going to love everything she's ever written, which again, we're going to talk about that in a little mm-hmm. bit. But Caitlin, I know that we have, I don't, I don't know exactly how to set this up. I'm, I'm excited for today's episode. I also know that, that what we're talking about is really serious and has been really, really hard. And I've had the, I don't know what other word to use other than honor of, of being with you through a, a lot of this and getting to watch God work in and through your life and in your family, through what you've been through. And, and, and I'm really honored to have you on the show talking about this today. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing this with us. Y'all, I do want to say sort of a, maybe a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Um, if what we're talking about today, like pricks something in you that feels bad in any way, go ahead and turn it off. Don't worry. Don't worry about finishing the episode. However, um, I will promise you that there's so much hope and goodness and Mm -hmm. advice and and wisdom for how to move through hard things coming at the end. So I don't know, that's sort of a jumbled way to say it, but I just want to acknowledge people who are listening who've also been through really hard things. Anyway, now I feel like I've set you up in a weird way. Caitlin, the place I want to start is I know that your number one favorite person in the world, if you had to pick, which I feel like it wouldn't even be a contest, would be (laughs) your brother. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, I would love to. My brother's name is Kendall. And although we've commonly been mistaken for twins before, we're actually um, two and a half years apart. I'm older. He's younger. Um, And he's really the best thing to ever happen to me. Of course, we had normal little spats 
growing up. But the older we got, I think the more that we kind of truly knew that we had something special. And there really were some moments um, when we would just be together and I would think, wow, like what a true joy it is to feel like there's no one else I would rather be hanging out with than my brother. And I think there were some times when I would think, you know, he was maybe going through a breakup or something. And I would think about that girl on the other end of like the phone call and think, I'm so glad that I don't have to be the one to lose him just because he's so incredible. And like, you know, your family is like your built-in support system and they are the people that you go to. But I think I was just always really intentionally thankful that Kendall was in mine and he was just the tallest, kindest, just most intentional and driven person that I've ever met. And he really, even though he was younger and I was older, he really inspired me just in so many ways. He was someone who was always looking for a way to make the world better or to help someone feel acknowledged or to come up with a really great new business idea. And I think it's really hard that you know, I, I am talking about him in the past tense and I think, you know, that's, that's a story that we'll get to, but it's, I think first and foremost, the thing that I want people to know about my brother is how incredible his life was and, um, just how thankful that I am to be his sister. Can you, I feel like that's a really perfect segue. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, totally. Do you want to give a kind of a disclaimer? We kind of, we, we did chat before, before we, um, we, we, Caitlin and I sat down and talked about this episode before we started recording and you wanted to give sort of a disclaimer about telling the story, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I empathize even more with than my story now is the people who are listening. Like I'm so much more familiar with the situation of maybe listening to something or just loving so much that you're afraid to lose it. And if you hear an idea or a story or something that happened to someone else, I was the girl and still really am the girl who becomes fixated on that and afraid that something that I hear is suddenly going to happen to me. And I feel like I just want to talk to that person right now and say like, like, yes, something like bad did happen to me, but like, that's not what I want you to take away from my story. And I think that there is just so much more freedom that I've learned from this that it's so hard, but I think that at the end, my worst fear, like, yes, was losing my brother. And yes, he passed away in a really tragic accident that none of us really saw coming. But I think that that's just so short-sighted to fixate on that. Like, I think that there's so much hope that we miss that way. And um, I think that God is working in our stories in so many more ways than we can predict. That's that's more than just you see something and it's going to happen to me. And so I, I think I just want to encourage that person and say that like in this conversation, like I am thinking about you and I that's not what I want you to walk away with from this conversation. And I hope that if anything, you'll see that, you know, that happened to me, but like God didn't leave me there. And Worst case scenario, if that were to happen to you too, he wouldn't leave you either. I love that so much. And 
I love that you're saying I'm talking to that girl because I a hundred percent am that girl. And I'm definitely, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I'm sure they can. I'm sure you guys can, but I mean, my biggest fear is losing my, is losing my people. And, um, when Carl and I first got married, I could not let him leave the house without imagining like a hundred different ways that he could die in a fiery car crash. And every Mm -hmm. time I would hear a story of like newlyweds, it's like, they just got back from their honeymoon. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, a week later, the husband loses the wife, loses the wife or the wife loses the husband or something like that. All those stories just gave me like scenarios to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with, I just have like a total fear of losing my dad and everybody loses their dad. So that that's, everyone loses everybody. <laughs> so it's a really hard fear to navigate, but it's something that gets worse when I let myself run down the, you know, like trail of imagining all the ways that it could happen or that it's going to happen tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I, I lose out on the time that it we lose out on the time we have with our people when we allow ourselves to fixate on how and when we're going to lose them. But I definitely know that, you know, hearing every time I hear a story of someone's of someone losing their parent, like, I mean, it just, it just takes my brain down to a totally hard place. And so Caitlin, we talked about how you're not going to give a ton of detail, mm-hmm. um, but I do want you to tell us as much of the story as you feel like is, is good to tell. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I resonated a lot with what you were saying about like going down that trail of all of the what ifs. And I think where I am now, like I, I mean, I still have what ifs about different situations of losing more people. But I think the thing that I realized the most is that like God is not in that fear, but he was with me when the fear came true. And I think there were so many negative what ifs that the fear spoke into, But what God breathes into that is like, what if what he says is actually true? And what if we can still trust him, even if bad things happen to us? And what if he's still going to be faithful? And what if he sees our fear or our grief and he understands it more than we even understand it ourselves? And he is still going to be faithful to us. I love that so much. And the the worst case scenario happening thing, you know, we live in a really broken world. Like we, we don't, we live in a broken world and broken things happen and they do. And I think, you know, a lot of times people say like, God does everything for a reason. That's crazy because that is saying that God took your brother away. Mm. The truth is that we live in a broken world and God's not puppeteering us. He's not, Mm -hmm. he's not controlling us. He's not controlling our world. He's sovereign over it, but he's not causing every single thing to happen. He is redeeming it though. He's Mm -hmm. redeeming our world and he's saving it and he's putting it back together. And he has a master plan. It's going to make this whole thing better at the end of the day. And he makes things better at the end of our days too. Like he brings Mm -hmm. beauty out of ashes and life from death and goodness from brokenness and despair in every situation. But he's doing that with our world overall too. It's So I just love what you're saying about like our worst case scenarios sometimes happen. And that's the nature of us being humans and our lives being finite, but that God, even when our worst case scenarios do happen, we lose the people we love the most. God is there and he is, he's providing for us in ways that we can't imagine when we're worst case scenario running down that trail. So anyway, okay. So tell us, tell us the story. Cause I want to hear, I want, I want the girls to be able to hear, but I also want to talk about what happened next. Yeah, for sure. So, um, basically what happened was my brother, he was a really successful entrepreneur and he had 
won a trip because he was one of the most successful businessmen basically in the country. He was 20 years old, so still in college, and he was just incredible. And so, um, like, unfortunately, what happened was there was just a freak accident while all of these 20-year-olds were on a trip. And our lives have just never been the same. It's kind of that phone call that you hope to never get. And so Kendall's my only sibling. And so it left, you know, me and my parents and I'm kind of relearning what it means to be, I think someone, someone gave the phrase the other day, a three-legged family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I liked that just because it felt like, you know, acknowledging something that that's really vital and important that's missing, but we're still, we're still alive and a family. (laughs) Yeah. And we're still a family. Um, and so, but I, but I think the takeaway from the story is like Kendall passed away with people surrounded by people that he loved and doing things that he loved. And, you know, I believe in an eternity where he's still doing things that he loves. And, um, I believe that I'm going to be with him again one day and, you know, we're going to get to talk about this and I'm going to get to hear his side of the story and I can't wait, but I'm also just thankful for the story that God has written in this that's different. And I think one day I'm going to, I'm going to continue to learn all of the different shades and sides and facets of this story that are more hopeful than they may feel day to day. So we're going to be talking about like where God has been in this and the comfort and the hope and um, how you've been healing from this. But I do want to stop and just acknowledge, like, can you give us a snapshot of what the first week and month and year looked like for you? Because I know that there are women who might be going through something really hard today and hearing that like you're going to, I think that it's kind of a two-sided thing where hearing that there's going to be hope and that you're going to be able to talk about this one day without like bursting into tears sounds wonderful, but also totally removed. Like, okay, great, Caitlin, like somehow you're immune to the pain of this and that's absolutely not the case. So can you give us just a snapshot of like what it looked like? Yeah. I mean, it was basically everything, like all the ways that your life turns upside down that you hope to never see. Um, I had just moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and was starting my life here. was super excited. I had just graduated from college. And, you know, then suddenly I had to go back home. And suddenly my childhood home was never going to be the same again. I think I realized, you know, on the drive there that all of just it's kind of like you have to live all of the dreams that you had for your life in backward motion and then realize that they're not going to happen. I think I just remember thinking about all of the things that Kendall and I weren't going to get to do together, all of the things that we did do together that were not going to happen again. I think that one of the most difficult parts was watching my parents go through it because I think, you know, it was a time in my life where all of my friends are losing their grandparents. And so we had kind of gone through that in our family as well, but it is just so unreal to watch something so unnatural happen. Um, the youngest person in our family pass away before all of us, you know, and, and we just didn't, 
no life without him. And so it was devastating to say the least. I think I just remember waking up each morning, like I was at home and I had drug a mattress into my parents' room because I didn't want to sleep in my room across the hall from his. And I didn't want to wake up the next morning and realize that that nightmare was actually real. And, um, I really hated all of the signs of things that you see happen to other people and can't believe that they're, they're happening to you. Like, you know, friends and family were coming over and we were like, how did you know what happened? And, you know, and just feeling that they'd heard your bad news and people were talking about your bad news and it's isolating, even though you're with so many people, I think I just couldn't stop thinking about how the people who were coming to visit us and bring it, bring us food and help us with things like we were a stop in their day, you know, and they, and they were so kind and so just supportive. And I really do think everyone had their own kind of grief, but I think that Kendall was just someone who I really had kind of based a lot of my identity around as being his sister because it had been such an honor and such a cool thing to say, like I'm Kendall's sister because everyone loved Kendall to kind of suddenly feel like that's just gone. And, you know, these people are going to move on with their lives. And like, I just, I don't even know how to do that. And much less figuring out all the logistics of, you know, what happens when people pass away. And like the week before I was, talking to my brother about like, you know, a TV show. It's just such, such a stark contrast of things that I never thought that I would be going through. And, and I just remember feeling like the rest of my life feels so long just without him. And, you know, I just want to get to the good part of like being in heaven and being reunited with him. And I want to see all of those promises fulfilled that God has made to me and all of the words that should be comforting to me that kind of are in the, in the long term of like, okay, I know that God is good and I know that he has some plans, but right now it really doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like Oh, I feel like we all just need to like take take a breath. <laughs> take a breath. So this is going to seem like we're really switching gears, but we're not. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, you are about to launch a brand new book in the world, guys. I promise this connects. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Wow, great transition stuff." Um, you're about to launch a book into the world, which mm-hmm. I just I got to open up a digital version of it a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and I cried immediately. Uh, just seeing your front, your name on the front cover just l- lost my mind. So it's called The Book of Comforts. Am mm-hmm. I right? Yes. And it is amazing. And really quickly, I want you to be able to give a shout out. You wrote this with a team. And then I'm going to, I want to hear what it's all about. But you wrote this with a team, right? I did. So I co-wrote this book with just some of the best people I know. And I think, you know, when we talk about topics like this, we really want to be with people that we trust, you know, like I wanted to come here and talk about this because I knew that I was going to 
be at a real girls night with someone who I trusted with this subject matter. And I can just completely say the same about um, my teammates, Rebecca Ferris, Caleb Ferris, and Simone Wilder. And the four of us met when we were working at She Reads Truth, which is the job that brought me to Nashville. And so they are really the people that saw me in the weeds of grief. And Rebecca is the one who was with me the morning that I found out what had happened. And she is the one who just picked up everything. And she said, I am driving you home. And she is just one of those examples of people that I think um, when I talk about showing up for your friends when they're going through hard things and people who I model myself, you know, I try to emulate whenever I'm caring for my friends of just like to show up for them, just, just do tangible things for them. I showed up to an office in pieces, not even thinking about any kind of logistics about how I was going to get home or what my next step was. And she, as soon as I arrived, she said, I've already looked up plane tickets. There's not a good option. I'm going to drive you home. We're going to be there in five hours. Oh my gosh. You know, and she didn't drive you home to your home in Nashville. She drove you home, home. She drove me home, home and delivered me to my parents who obviously, you know, were not able to think through the logistics at the time either. And so they knew, you know, for the moment that I was safe and that I was going to make it home and I was with someone. Um, And so Rebecca and then Caleb, her husband, he just knows the Bible so well. And I remember just kind of this hazy fog of five hours of trying to process what had just happened. Um, I would go from like, you know, telling a story about Kendall to just like, oh my gosh, what am I, what is my life? What am I going to do to, why would God let this happen to me? And I thought that God wasn't supposed to give us more than we could handle. And that doesn't feel very true right now. So, so now what? And, and Rebecca would call Caleb and he was on speakerphone and he, I, I don't know even where he was that day, but he was answering my questions and just feeding truth back to me and, you know, telling me like, okay, like, yes, God does sometimes give you more than you can handle, but like you can handle anything through his strength and just, you know, what was true and the things that I could rest in and just strength to get me to my next step. And Simone, she's now my roommate. And so she's definitely seen the highs and the lows and everything in between. And Simone is someone who I really trust to make things beautiful. And so I think the first thing that you need to know about the Book of Comforts is that it is gorgeous, (laughs) gorgeous, unbelievable, like art and design and the words. I mean, absolutely stunning. Is that what you're going to (laughs) say? That is exactly what I was going to say. And I'm going to say that because I can take absolutely no credit for that part. Um, Simone and Caleb are a team of designers and illustrators that, um, started working together at She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth. And we just loved working together, loved um, giving the gospel the beauty it deserves. 
And I think that when I thought about this project and we, this, this book really started as a conversation around a dinner table when we were all just kind of talking like, you know, we really like working together. And if we were to kind of combine all of our talents into one project, like what would it be? And I think that Rebecca is one of my favorite writers and Caleb is just so smart and grounded in truth. And he's also a writer and also an illustrator, which blows my mind. And Simone, she just really takes a vision of something and cares for it and brings it to life and just really makes you feel like, I mean, things are, things are beautiful and just enhances your experience of any kind of book. And so when I thought about um, what need the world had that, that maybe we could fill, obviously my experience kind of led me to something that had to do with grief. But I think that one of my biggest dreams for this book was that it wasn't just about grief or losing someone, but that it was any kind of pain. And I think everyone can relate to that. And I think that that's, that's kind of the point. And what I want is that I don't think that as believers, as people who believe a faith that is based around the suffering of Christ and the redemption and the resurrection that came from it and the life that we get to live because of it. I don't think that we talk enough about the actual pain that we're going through in our everyday lives in that context. Um, I think that when my brother passed away, I was given so many just books or resources or pieces of advice that were supposed to be comforting and helpful. And I think that I found that a lot of the faith that I had worked fine until my life and my brother's life depended on it. Hmm. And so I really had to find out what I believed and find out what the truth about this really hard thing was. And um, there were grief books that talked about how to get through something or the different stages that I was I would experience. But what I wanted to know was like what God's word says about that. The one true thing that will stay the same no matter what I'm going through on my best days and my worst days. And I think I wanted it to be a larger conversation. I wanted to feel less isolated. I wanted to not, <laughs> I think an experience that I always go back to is um, like looking for books on grief and going to the bookstore like Barnes Noble or something and feeling like, okay, like, where do I find those? And I don't know if it's like this in every bookstore, but I mean, it's pretty hard to find. It's not like books on grief are displayed up front. Yeah. Um, they're hard to find. And then when you get there, most of them are black or white or gray and they're depressing. And it makes you feel like this is how my situation is being labeled. And I think I just felt so isolated. Like, when am I going to be able to walk into like a beautiful store, like, you know, anthropology or something. And I want to see my pain represented there. Like, I don't want to feel like I have to get better or fix my circumstances before I can like participate in the world where things are beautiful and redeemed 
And so I think that that was a lot of my vision for the book of comforts was that I wanted it to not just be a book that you're going to like discreetly read and then maybe, you know, put at the bottom of your closet and maybe refer back to when your friend is going through something similar, but maybe also just, it's a book that like you probably want to forget. You want to forget that you've gone through grief, but I wanted the book of comforts to be something that you want to put on your coffee table. And you want people to pick it up and ask you about it. And I hope that when they do that, it leads you to a conversation about things that maybe you've been too hesitant to discuss before and really just connect on like, well, yeah, me too. Like I'm also going through this and, or, you know, I haven't been through your type of pain, but I'm going through a different shade of it. And this is what I'm doing. And I think that that was one of the hardest things that I faced was, um, so many people would say, I have, you know, I can't imagine what you're going through, which is, you know, intended to be something caring and like they're they're tra- what they're trying to say is you've gone through something really hard and I want to acknowledge it mm-hmm. but to me what I felt was they can't imagine it because I'm the only one going through it mm-hmm. and that's not true and so when I was writing thinking about writing this book I felt like I don't want to just write about my experience in grief or my experience in something hard and for people to feel like they need to compare their circumstances to mine or, or I think that comparing griefs is, is just not helping anybody because all that we want to hear is a me too. We don't want to hear like a, yeah, well, but, or, you know, I have a friend who went through something similar. We, we, I think that when you're in the woods, the woods or the weeds, (laughs) I don't know what the saying is, but, um, when you're in a really dark place, you need someone to come in and say, I've been here before. Like, here's how we're going to bring light into this situation. You don't want someone to like open the door and be like, oh my gosh, it's so dark. I can't go in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so this book, I wanted it to be something that was a collection of stories from people who had gone through different things. It wasn't just about death. It wasn't just about disappointment or the struggles that come with parenting or marriage, but it was any of it and all of it. And I mean, honestly, I want the focal point of the book to not be our stories, but for our stories to kind of welcome someone in and say, you can sit with us at this table, but now we are going to read what is actually true and what is actually comforting. I love that so much. It's that's so good, Caitlin. I, I love this because it feels even just those words, the word comfort, like that's exactly what you need, whether you're going through something hard, that's hard for a week or hard Mm -hmm. for life. And I love what you said about not comparing hurts. I, my counselor who is just amazing. I remember one of the first times I ever saw her, she said, suffering is suffering. And she was like, Mm. any suffering is anything that wouldn't have happened in the garden of Eden. And so Mm, like, I love everything. So we all are, are grieving things. We all are, are experiencing hard things. And so, yeah, saying like, you know, I was, you know, broken up with by a guy I dated for three months that has no that can't compare to losing a sibling. It's like, no, no, no. Grief is grief. Suffering is suffering. And I love that this book is brings comfort to all those 
things. So one of my favorite quotes in the whole world is be who you needed when you were younger. And I I love that that's what you're doing with this book. You know, we all go through difficult things in our lives and I always picture them as like as tunnels. So we all are going through tunnels and it's dark in there and it's damp in there and it's cold and we can't see a thing and we're not sure how long the tunnel is or if we're ever going to get out. And we feel so alone in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. But I I love, I think one of the bravest, best, most important things we can do is when we get to the end of the tunnel, which we will always get to the end of the tunnel, is taking what we learned along the way, grabbing a sandwich, a sweater, and I don't know, maybe a smile or something, a hug, and going back into the tunnel and walking with the girl who's right behind us. Um, And that's, you know, that's exactly what we aim to do here on Girls' Night. And and that's exactly what you're doing through this book. And so really today, I want to hear from you. Like, I want together for us to walk back through the tunnel and I want to hear some really, I, I know it's hard to put like practical, you can't put practical steps to grief, unfortunately. If you could... I would love to because that's, it's the worst. Um, But I do want to get some like really practical things that we can use to equip women who are just a couple steps behind, um, behind you in the, in the tunnel. And so anyway, I have, I have a whole bunch of questions for you and I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with them. Ready. Guys, I told you this would connect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You got to trust me. So Caitlin, what are a few things that brought you comfort in the first few weeks and months after it happened? Yeah. I mean, I think that really when I think about all of the things that people did for me or um, that comforted me, it really comes down to people just showed up. I think that so many people, and even I'm guilty of this, they think, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to help, or they assume that people who are more qualified are going to come to your friend's rescue who's going through something really hard. And I just think that I don't remember any wrong things that people said, but I do remember who showed up. Yeah. And even if people did say something that was, you know, maybe not comforting, like it didn't really matter because what I needed like was for someone to sit with me and say like, this is really hard and I'm not going to let you go through this alone. And, um, So I think that just stepping in and helping, like I was so overwhelmed by people who were like, just let me know what I can do to help because, you know, I can't think of, you know, how I'm going to make it through the next 10 minutes, much less. Give you a game plan for how to help me. Exactly. And so I think that there were just so many practical ways that other people helped me. And I think that one of my favorite questions to ask people who, you know, have been through anything, like if they have surgery or if they are sick or if they, you know, maybe their spouse is deployed or, you know, go through some kind of uniquely difficult situation is to ask them how other people served them because I want to learn from that. And I think that we should all continue learning from that. And so some of the ways that people served me where they just stepped in and they showed up And I remember, um, you know, my cousin went to the store and bought me an outfit to wear to the funeral or like, you know, it's just like, I would never, I would never think of that. And then also that's a, that's a like logistical, like, what do you, you you don't, no one wants to go to a store to buy a black dress for a funeral, you know? And so I think that, um, just such practical things like that, just showing up. I think that there's kind of a crucial period when something happens and you're kind of like, which people are going to be my crutch? Who is trustworthy and who can I lean on? And those people show up 
And I mean, you have to trust them. You have to um, let them do things for you. Um, and on the reverse of that, you have to be the person that shows up and you have to show up the way that you are. Like, don't overthink what you do or don't do or say or don't say. Your presence is going to say more than any wrong thing that comes out of your mouth. Like, you know, I think in our relationships, all the time we can say wrong things to each other and it's okay. And for some reason, it's like you're, you become like you're in a glass box when you're suffering and, and everyone suddenly reevaluates what they say. And I think that that's definitely worthy. And, but I also think that if you're thinking about it and if you are leading with empathy and compassion, like that is what's going to speak loudest. If you let the fear of seeing the wrong thing keep you from your people. Just just please don't do that. Just don't. Yeah. I think the people that were there for me, you know, in the 24 hours and beyond are just invaluable. And I, you know, it's just as awkward for me as it is for the people that were showing up. And so it's kind of like, it doesn't have to be some like, here's my offering and thing that I have to say or gift or food or whatever. It's kind of just like, it's such a relief to see a familiar face and say, we're going to get through this together somehow. I love that. I think when I think about some of the hardest things that I've been through, when my friends have said, we, like, we're going to get through this. It's something about that is just, it just undoes you in the best way. And um, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but you know that over the summer, I had just a total season of anxiety and depression, like crash down on me. I think it had been there for a while, but that was, it became totally undeniable at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And our dear mutual friend, Casey, I remember her texting me saying, Steph, you need to make an appointment. I will make it for you. Yeah. And, and just the fact she, I didn't have her do it. I I did it. But the fact that she was willing to call the doctor's office and make an appointment for me because I just was struggling so much was such a big deal. And I would love to hear like, so I'm picturing people who are going through things like maybe going through them sort of alone if, if there aren't a ton of people or, you know, I think people show up a lot at the beginning yeah. and then there's, and, and it makes sense. Like everyone is living their own lives. Everyone's doing the best they can. So what are some things that were brought comfort to you that didn't like necessarily depend on what other people were doing? Yeah. I think, um, there were just so many ways that you can care for yourself that I think you kind of have to give yourself permission to feel how you're going to feel which is something that was really difficult for me. Um, I think we've talked about the Enneagram before. I'm in Enneagram 7, which it just feels like I love joy and I love being happy and I have a bubbly personality and that's who I am. And I did not have any experience in talking about hard things. And I actually spent my whole life trying to avoid having to talk about those things. But when it's kind of staring you down in the face, I I think I felt like I couldn't be myself. I couldn't act a certain way or say a certain thing or, you know, maybe something would be perceived differently now that something bad had happened to me. But I think you just have to give yourself so many free passes. Mm. I think you can say, you know what? I really feel like going on a walk today and 
If you feel like going on a walk, go on a walk. If you, you know, are in the grocery store and you feel like, okay, I have a long list of things that I need to do and accomplish. And you get to the second aisle and you start thinking about, you know, the really hard thing that you're going through, or maybe a song comes on that reminds you of something or like, you know, people talk about grief bursts. I think it's such a funny term, but it's true. And I think looking back, I can see myself having a grief burst in the moment. I think I just thought like I was a failure for not being able to power through a bad feeling. What is it? Tell me, I've never heard the term grief burst before. So it's basically like you're in some type of situation and a lot of times it might be like in a, in something that's totally unrelated, or maybe you're with a big group of people or just in, I don't know, something happens that triggers your grief and you may just have a really emotional reaction that you didn't expect. And so, um, I mean, what I was going to say about the free pass in the grocery store is like, you can go home. Like you don't have to get everything on your list today. Mm. But also like, I think that grief just looks so different for everyone. I think, I mean, even in my own family, I felt like it was really important that I was seeking like purpose in my pain. And I wanted to, I wanted to be with my people and I didn't want to be alone. And I didn't want to be left alone with my thoughts. And, but, and then I experienced like grief in a very physical way. Like I was ill. And then it was like my parents, you know, they were more ready to go to counseling right away. And they really appreciated having like more quiet and space from other people. And it was kind of just like a little bubble of like, we were going through the exact same thing, but in such different ways. And so I would hate for someone who maybe feels like they're the only one going through something to feel like they're not going through it the right way Yeah, because there is no right way. And I think, you know, they say grief isn't linear. It's definitely not linear, <sighs> but it's also just, it's different for different people. And I think there are so many things that people tell you that, um, you Maybe just don't need to listen to grief advice. I think <laughs> you listen to what sounds right for you. You take it with a grain of salt. I remember, um, I've just heard so many things from like the second year is the worst. And well, that's setting you up for exactly. People say that about marriage. The first year of marriage is the hardest. So you go in like guarding yourself, ready to hate the person you just married. That's not true. Exactly. Personality and circumstances and what they're going through and, you know, every everything is different for everybody. Yes. And so I think just giving yourself so much grace. And if you don't feel like you have that community, I think that you're also not a failure. I really hope that you will find someone who you do feel comfortable talking about it with. But, I mean, even if you don't, like, I think there's so many ways to express your grief or to process things or, you know, some people go to therapy or they find exercise or they writing was a huge thing for me. I think that, um, writing a community and kind of connecting with people online was a way that I found out that I wasn't alone in what I was going through, because even though I, you know, had, I was going through the same thing as my parents, I didn't have 
someone else who had lost a sibling. Yes, because it's a different relationship. Yes, I yeah. didn't. I didn't have someone else who had lost someone in their twenties, or you yeah. know, they're just technology is incredible, and um, I definitely don't think that you should share your story before you're ready. But I do believe that there are beautiful things that can come from it if you feel like that's something that you want to do. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done, and that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. 
They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use this directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. I want to say two things and I'm going to try not to forget them. One of them is when you were talking about not wanting to be like the grief person, you're like, this isn't me. I'm not, not like cut out for grief. I'm cut out for joy. I remember talking about that at coffee like multiple times. And the thing about giving yourself a free pass, I, I remember distinctly talking about this, that some days when you're grieving, like it isn't linear. Some days you feel terrible. Some days you feel fine yeah. and that that's okay too. That feeling joy in a moment or laughing or feeling okay one day doesn't mean that you don't care. You don't have to force yourself to feel bad. You also don't have to force yourself to feel good. And the thing about being linear that I feel like is so important to say is like, what that means is that if you one day feel terrible, the next day feel okay, the next day feel great. And then the next day feel worse than you did on the first day. That's normal. Like you haven't slid back or regressed or you're not not making progress. The whole thing is very twisty and turny and it feels like you're not making any progress, but at some point you start to feel better. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, speaking of community and letting people into this, I remember, um, and you talked about this a little bit on the other episode that we did together. The fact that this happened right when you moved to Nashville was especially tricky because when you're making new friends, period, it's really hard. But when you're making new friends in a season of like total grief, that's really hard. How do you, like, can you talk us through how to share about this and especially like how to share about this with someone new and kind of what your thought process was there? Cause I know that like you ended up sharing this with me, like pretty early in our friendship because Mm -hmm. we were becoming friends right when this was happening. And so, um, yeah, just talk to us about that a little bit about like, how do we go about interacting with humans, Mm -hmm. having this be whatever this is, this be a part of our story? Yeah. I think it's such a difficult balance because especially in my case, a sibling is something that you usually talk about with people, you know, like I, I still go on first dates and it's one of the first things that a guy asked me and I have to be like, you know, make a a split second decision on if this person is someone that I want to tell the full story or not. And I think that that's something that you have to determine first. I think you need to set boundaries with yourself on what you're comfortable sharing. And I think you need to determine how to decide who you want to trust your story with. And, um, for example, my parents and I have been in some situations where, you know, if we were, you know, in an Uber and something had come up about like, you know, oh, do you have more children? And I think it just felt like in that moment, we, we were not going to see that person again. And it didn't really feel worth it to expose our whole story. And so in that case, it was so much different. What we said, you know, was something kind of quick and moving on to the next topic. 
versus you, I felt like when we met, you were someone that I could see myself having a really close friendship with. And I think I had seen just in the way that you cared for other people in your life that you would also be careful with my story. And, and I think you just have to think about what feels comfortable to you. Like, I I don't think there's any right timeline on saying something, but for me, I felt like people, I couldn't make really deep friendships unless people knew my brother and that's the best way that they get to know him is through me telling the story. And I definitely have had some mess ups of telling the story. And, you know, by this point, I know what I'm going to say and I'm comfortable with it, but other people haven't handled it as well. And I think that you kind of have to have that expectation. Hopefully, you know, you are at the point in a relationship with someone where you feel ready to trust them with that. But I have been in situations where I think I've been a little bit more comfortable with my story than the person receiving it was. And that was awkward. And you just kind of have to accept it for what it is. And like give them grace too, because just knowing they have no idea what to say in this moment. No idea. Them reacting poorly is not about me. And even if it is about me, it's Mm -hmm. not about me. Like someone reacting poorly to your story says way more about them, whether it's you know, something broken in them or their comfort level or their just total like lack of, you know, knowledge of what to say in hard situations. It's not, regardless, it's not about you. Yeah. And so I think that's something I usually do once I've decided to share my story. And especially if I don't think the other person knows what I'm going to talk about. I just kind of preface it with like, you know, it's difficult for me to talk about this or like, it's kind of awkward, but this is something that I really want you to know as my friend so that you can kind of know more of my story. And I think it kind of depends on how you act and you can kind of set the tone for the story. And if it's, you know, still a really raw wound that you don't want to talk about, You do not have to talk about that. I think that's so important to say, because I think we feel, you know, we have such a a emphasis on vulnerability Mm -hmm. and authenticity, which I love is such a good thing. But I think we feel like if you're in an Uber and someone says, do you have a brother or something Mm -hmm. like that, that you have to say that to be authentic and vulnerable, you have to tell your whole story. You do not though. And I think that that's, you may feel like you're lying Mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to, it's not like. I'm not trying to condone lying. It's just not every single person deserves to have your full story. And so totally. it is okay for you to say, if, if you don't want to kind of gloss over it in some way, you can say, I prefer not to share that. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, you can say, I mean, you really can say whatever you feel comfortable saying because this is your story mm-hmm. and you get to share it the way that you want to. The other thing I was going to say is we do need to be talking to somebody Mm-hmm. And I know yes. that you are such a proponent of that. If if we're not surrounded by some sort of community, we need to find it. We mm-hmm. need to join a small group. That's I, I always say this. That's the fastest way to connect with a really great community. There are churches all over the country and all over the world. And there are people whose job it is to connect you with other wonderful, like-minded people who also love Jesus. And you need to be in some sort of community. You cannot, no matter what the thing is that you're carrying, you cannot carry it alone. Mm -hmm. And Caitlin, I know that you and I are both huge proponents of therapy. Yes, That is having a counselor, having a therapist is 
is so important because we are just, no matter what the thing is, we are carrying things that are beyond our pay grade and having, we need other people to, to help us. And so you don't have to share your story with everybody, mm-hmm. but I would say, and you can, you can jump in. You need to share your story with somebody. And I think the thing that we don't say is how much freedom that can lead to. I think that I get hung up on what to say or if they're the right person to talk to about this. And I think so many of my deepest, best friendships have been formed and almost even more quickly because I was willing to be vulnerable. And I think so many times when I've told my story, it's been such a strong connecting point to someone else that I would not have otherwise. Um, I think it kind of, it can really speed up a relationship, which is why it's something that you want to make sure that it's within the context of relationship that you do see becoming something that is regular and consistent in your life. Mm -hmm. But more likely than not, if it is someone who loves Jesus and loves you and has your best interests at heart, you are going to receive the best gift from sharing your story. And, you know, I've had people tell stories maybe about a similar pain or experience or people who just were the loveliest, kindest people who they ask me more about my brother. They, I think that's the thing that I love is people want to get to know me through Kendall's life, not his death. And that's a gift to me to be able to talk about him and how much I love him. And I I think that's really what I want to get to. And it just really, it can be really sweet and rewarding. I think that, you know, a lot of times we think that this thing, whatever the thing is that happened to us or that we did is our deal breaker. It's the thing that's going to make people walk away from us, but that's actually never the truth because we all have something. We all have gone through something. And so when we can open up about it with people, that's the thing that like connects us to each other. We're like, oh, I'm not alone in this. We're in Mm -hmm. this together. And I remember feeling not like I I remember feeling so trusted by you when you shared it with me and feeling like, okay, this is a place where together in this relationship, we can be honest and we can, we can not have it all together and we can be a mess. And there have been times when I've gone through so many things, when I've been able to come to you and be totally honest because you've done the same for me. And I just love that. So Caitlin, I want to ask you just two more quick things. So one of them is, you know, as women are walking through whatever their pain is, do you have any last, like, try this, do this, any last just kind of tangible things that can help them get through it and bring them comfort along the way? Yeah. I mean, I think people ask me when their friends are going through something hard, like what they should do to help them. And I think that's a lot of the heart behind the book of comforts is that I, I, I felt like there's not really something that I trust enough out there to like give to a friend. Um, so I'm going to make it, <laughs> but, I love that. but I think that, um, there are so many different ways for so many different people. And I think that even for me, things that have helped have changed over time. And so I think that really the idea that I want to leave them with is just like the possibility. Like if you feel like 
you've tried everything or things are never going to get better or your life feels so long. I think that a lot of people talk about their lives in terms of before and after. And I don't think that applies here. Like, I don't think I can really speak as someone who is in the after part of my suffering. Like, I think um, it's something that like I still face and it's something that I still like need community and I still need my friends to support me and I still go to counseling and I take medication and I exercise and I'm, you know, I read books on it. I write, I do so many different things. I feel like where I think that I get into trouble is where I start to feel like, um, either I'm comparing my life to someone else's or I just feel trapped. Like things are too much Um, that I've tried so many things and I've made it this far, but you know, I just, I don't know what to do today in this moment. And so I think really just breaking things down and thinking about your next step, your next right step, what you can do. And that can be so many different things for so many people. And I think that you know, so many people are going through different shades of pain and different things just silently and alone. And, and I think that it can just sound so loud when it feels like just you, but I feel like I just want you to know that like, there are other people who are ugly crying in their car on the way to work or like, you know, there are people who RSVP'd no to a party because they thought it would be too triggering for them or too hard. Or there is someone who is, has decided to do something like super incredible. Like, like they are going to run a marathon and their real reason is because something so difficult has happened and they need to prove to themselves that they can get through it. I think there are just so many different shades of humanity that we don't see. And, um, I just never want you to feel stuck. Like there's always the possibility of hope. There's always the possibility that how you feel in this moment is not all there is. There's always the possibility of God's plan is really better than it feels. And I think our mentalities can be so black and white. And in these circumstances, when things don't go the way that we planned, it starts to feel like maybe nothing else is the way that I thought it was. And I think it's easy to feel that way about faith. Like everything's gone great for me so far. And I've been able to trust God because he's done the things that I want him to do. But what happens when he doesn't do what I want him to do? Um, I think it's difficult to just kind of still check all the boxes and say, yes, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, this is for my good because it doesn't always feel that way. But I think we can believe in the possibility of that. Like we can take the smaller step to believe. I believe it's possible that God still has my best interest in mind. And I believe that it's possible that he sees me and loves me and understands my grief. Even if it's hard for me to fully feel like you know, a God who's in control would let this happen to me. I think, you know, just keep looking for that possibility because there are so many other people that are also looking for the possibility. And I don't think anyone is just like, has it all together or has triumphed over their pain. No one, no one is an after image. And I think if you're like, 
you feel like you're in the before of your life and you're thinking, okay, like what bad thing is going to happen to me that I'm, you know, I'm anticipating and I'm fearing. It's the same way. Like there's so much more, just let the light in that you can see, you know, that maybe your worst fear will become true, but don't get trapped there. Keep thinking past that. Okay. Then what? Like, does that make the gospel untrue? Because it doesn't and it won't. And it may feel that way sometimes, but God has been faithful and I think he'll continue to be. And I think that the best thing we can do is look each other in the eye and and say that we're, you know, me too. We're in this together and, you know, I'm in pain. And I think that it's so helpful to just like go through and find, I think when, when I first lost my brother, I, I don't think this is very normal, but I was like reaching for theology books. Like I want to know that I know that I know that I know that the things that I'm believing are not false. And I think that when we open the Bible and we look with the lens of a God who is better than we feel in this moment, we're going to find it. And I think he's going to bring us comfort that maybe doesn't look the way we imagined or comfort that fixes all of our problems today or makes all of our pain feel worth it in the moment. But what he's going to do is be with us. And I think that I believe in the possibility that we're going to learn one day and believe with everything in us that that's better. So, Caitlin, I have just two last questions for you. I feel like we could talk about this forever, and I wish we could. (laughs) could. Um, But, you know, if there are women who are just in the thick of it right now, what are some things that, like, some tangible things that they can do today to just sort of, like— make it to tomorrow. Just what are some, just any last kind of practical tools that you can give them that aren't going to solve it, aren't going to make grief go away. Unfortunately, we can't just like snap our fingers and be done with it, but that will help them. What are, yeah, just give us some tools for our, our tool belt. Yeah. I think it can be so easy to feel overwhelmed by the amount of things that you feel, the amount of pain that surrounds you, but really all you have to do is take that next right step. And so, I mean, that can be so many different things, but don't feel like you are limited to, okay, I went to this one counselor and I didn't really feel like it helped me. There are so many other things that you can do. There are other counselors, you you know, you can look around there. It's, it's difficult to find one that you love, but it's worth it. Um, on that note, really quick, I want to say we did a whole show with all the questions that anyone could think. I mean, all the questions I ever had about counseling, um, we brought a, a, professional counselor in and asked her like, how do you find one? How do you know if it's a good fit? How do you pay for it? All those things. We'll link to that in the show notes. So that's a huge resource. So, okay. So counseling, I mean, there are just so many different things. Um, and, and your season changes, grief changes. And so you always have the possibility of something else. So there's exercise, there is, um, you know, seeking medical help to see what can help you. There is being in community. There is reading truth, reading God's word. There is exercise. There's just so many things. I think if you break it down and say, you know, I'm going to do this one thing today. And then you reevaluate. You say, did that help me? Did that not? And it's not going to fix you, but it can help you make a positive forward step. 
I love that. I love that. What do I need to do today? I feel like that's our question for mm-hmm. everything, you know, is, is not what do I need to do for the next 80 years to deal with this? It's no, just what do I need to do right. today? And it m- maybe eat a meal. Yes. Yeah. That's a big one. It's yeah. really, really hard to eat when you're, mm-hmm. when you're hurting or it's way too easy to eat. I think one or one of the yes, two. Yes. It can go um, either way. So Caitlin, I know that there are some women who are feeling like they are just totally in the middle of the tunnel and everything is dark and they are thinking, guys, I hear you. It will never get light again. I'm positive. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that you're not, it's not that we can ever really be a before and an after in grief, but it, it's been how many, four years? Four years. It's been four years. Mm-hmm. So I know that you're not in the thick of it in the same way you were four days in. So if there's someone who's like, just in total darkness right now, I would just love for you to share some encouragement of, of what's coming for them. Yeah. I want them to know that I see them. I see where they are. I see that it is difficult and it's dark and it feels like it is never going to get better, but even better, God sees them and he has good things planned. These circumstances that you find yourself in this darkness it has not disqualified you from hope. He sees it. I believe it. I'm right there with you. And it's all still true. It is all still true. No matter how hard things seem. The gospel, hope, light. All of it. All of it. All of the things I think we, sometimes I just have to settle when when things don't make sense with things, you know, they could be worse than I think they are, but the gospel says they're better than we think they are. And so when things don't make sense, that's what we can rest in, that God alone, He is our comfort. He is our peace. And He's with us. I love that. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this with us. And I truly feel like you've come into the tunnel with a light and a hug and a sweater and a sandwich and that we're not (laughs) alone and we don't have to go through this alone. And I love the book of comforts because I feel like it's a guidebook. It is that friend in the tunnel. And I just feel like I can't wait to buy it for everybody because it it just feels like the perfect thing to show up with that and food. Always show up with food. When your friends (laughs) are going through something, show up with food. But that and food, like I'm with you. We can get through this. And I feel like you guys writing this book, you're saying we can get through this together. You're not alone. And I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you. I'm so grateful just for the space to talk about this. And I hope that all of our friends listening feel the same kind of security in talking about this and that they will feel inspired to show up for their friends if they're not the one in a hard season right now. And we're cheering you on. We're with you in this. We're on your team, friend. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, friend. Thank you. You guys, isn't Caitlin amazing? I just loved her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. Now, one quick thing. If you have not had a chance yet, it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We've gotten so many amazing five-star reviews from y'all and you've left the sweetest comments. I truly cannot tell you how much it means to me. And it helps out the podcast more than you can imagine. So if you haven't yet, please take one quick second to leave a rating and a review. Thank you guys so much. Friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls Night and you're gonna love this one. Okay, see you then. Bye.